Hello, Sarah Tavar. Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. We're going to go a little bit zen today, aren't we? We are. We're going to explore the world of yoga and meditation. As we are doing this right now, I'm sat with my legs crossed, my hands in the air, I'm doing the downward doggy. Is that what they call it? Is that one of the yoga positions? I don't know. I don't know either. Well, we're going to find out. I'm not a yoga expert, but our guest today is. Yeah, and who knows, Larry might be as well. So uh, we are joined by the wonderful... Varon, who's going to teach us all about happiness in the world of yoga. This is Who's Larry. All right, so thank you for joining us today, fella. It's good to see your face again. So we were we were neighbours back in, what year was it, 2016? 15, 16, yeah, somewhere, somewhere around about there. You were in your year at Mount View yeah. studying drama. That's the one. Yeah, I remember you were our neighbour and we kind of, we were in the garden one day, I was like, Hey, mate, you're right. <laughs> so everyone always says, happy is Larry, that phrase. Yeah. So me and Sarah are on a bit of a mission to find out who this Larry fella is and why he's so bloody happy all the time. Nice. Do you know who Larry is? Do you know what? I think, so first of all, the thing is, I always look at it from um, the term happy as a different thing because it's just semantics at the end of the day. It's just this word, right? And everyone always wants to be happy. Like so many people I speak to who are like, yeah, I'm going to get this job so that I can you know, earn money and then from that be happy and yada, yada, yada. Now, from the yoga side of it, so I've been teaching yoga for well, the best part of the quarantine, really. But I've been learning and doing yoga since I was about three or four. So like naturally, my response is always a, a philosophical response. <laughs> so obviously, I've been seeing that you've been learning how to teach yoga for like the last two years yeah. on and off but you mentioned then that you've been doing yoga since you were like three or four which is obviously quite a young age i think i was eating crayons or stuffing <laughs> them up my nose or something when i was that age so how did uh how did you start that and how did you get into that from such a, a young age do you know what it was just um it was i think it was for my parents or for my dad mainly he he's been doing yoga on and off since he was young and um I think it's always helped him, you know, he's he's highly qualified, he's computer man, he's an, he used to be an accountant and then kind of left the accountant profession to, to kind of pursue something which he wanted to pursue a bit more rather than just crunch numbers and, and, and do that. And I think, I think it comes down to a perspective shift. So what I mean by perspective shift is when you say like happy is Larry, um, happy going for happiness is a word which is associated with to me it's always associated with doing something external that works and that affects our emotions in a way that makes us happy whereas i always look at it as a pursuit of joy as opposed to happiness because joy is something which is internal it's a it's a to me it's an internal state which you can't really you know replicate externally if that makes sense do you think if, like you say, you can't um, recreate it externally, do you think if, just hypothetically, if you were to create the hypothetical kind of like a big smile or like, because there's things like um, laughing yoga that I wanted to ask you about, where and I've been to it before, and it, it was honestly the craziest thing, and I was in uh, this huge centre in Manchester, and they said, right, you just start off with a, a small chuckle. Then by the end of it, we, we just couldn't stop. We were crying laughing. So it's like, for, have you ever done that? So... I've never done that. And to be honest, I don't have uh, a bad word to say about those things because 
to me, laughing yoga is very, very similar to um, things like, like listening to pop music or listening to, uh, you know, for some people it's gospel music. For some people it's heavy metal. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like different things for different people. And um, what I mean by, and why I brought in the music as well to explain kind of what I'm talking about is that it's all to do with responses in the body, right? We're constantly listening and the brain is always sort of taking note of everything that's happening. And on a cellular level, we're just vibrations, right? So we work on that frequency and some vibrations work with us, some vibrations don't. It's just like, you know, there's some people who you're like, I don't get a good vibe from that person. And to me, that's based on like a vibrational level. Um, and so when you listen to certain types of music, I mean, in every single background, every single culture, every single religion, there's always at the heart of it, it's to do with chanting, it's to do with that vibration. You know what I mean? It, it's be it Christianity with, the, with gospel choir, be it Sufism, you know, and Islam with their chanting and the Azan and things like that. With um, Sikhism, it's doing the Guru Granth Sahib in the... Um, uh, in the Gurdwara, it, literally in every single religion, there is always this byline, which is always to do with vibration. And I think pop music works in the same way. Like, you know, you, you were in a band, so I'm sure you knew, you know exactly what I'm talking about when I say the four chords, right? But like, I think that there is a real reason why those four chords are used so prominently in pop music, because they have a general effect on, vibrationally, on us as mm -hmm. just listening to those kinds of things. Yeah, that, that was our mission. We wanted to try and make everybody happy using... <laughs> I don't think we even used four, you know. I think we got as far as three and that was, <laughs> that was us. In terms of the kind of yoga that you do and you teach, is there a, a set name for that? Because I feel like in this day and age especially, you can put any other word in front of yoga and it can be because I've seen things like goat yoga. So what's different from kind of what you see as traditional yoga and things like that compared to anything else what what would you say in my mind this is what's my yoga i think i think when that question comes up and it's a great question because it's a really fiery debate at the moment within the community like what counts as yoga what is yoga i mean if you were to ask someone in la they would say yoga is something that you know mums do and they do it to stay fit and it's a social thing and you feel great about your mind and and everything like that but i think with these questions you always look at the root and the root of it, the core texts for yoga, are the Yoga Patanjali's. And the opening line, which is written in Sanskrit, is Yoga Chitta Vritti Nirodaha. Now, you must be thinking, what the hell does that mean? Right? And that's cool, because when my, when my teacher ta you know, taught me that line, I was like, whew, straight over my head. Um, but when she explained it to me, it made sense. And the um, direct translation is yoga is the stilling of the movement of thought in the body. And so, and oh, so anything that. that encapsulates that effect, that kind of, you know, uh, be it meditation, be it, you know, mindfulness, be it... Uh, for some people, it's even football. You know, you hear people going, oh, yeah, when I'm on the court or when I'm on the pitch and I kick a ball about, I don't think about anything else. That, to me, you know, it blocks everything else off. To me, that in the classical form of it is a type of yoga because what you're doing is you're stilling the movement of thought through yoga by focusing your attention on certain postures, on certain muscle groups of the body, 
Um, so if you see the classic Warrior 2, where you know they're all always like the arms are out wide and, and they're kind of leaning into it, it's the 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 bulk standard yoga pose you'll see on like any yoga magazine. If we were just to take that um, pose, for example, we're focusing on the shoulders and then you'd be focusing, after holding it for a while, you'd focus on the glutes and on the legs. But the thing is, when you have that high level of focus, you're not thinking about anything else. You're not thinking about the work that you've got to do. You're not thinking about the kids you've got to take to school. You're not thinking about any of that because you've got to focus just on that one pose or posture. And that focus is the gateway and is the path to stopping the movement of thought in the body. And when you start, so when people say, let's do some meditation, in my sessions, I'll never say, let's do some meditation. I'll always say, let's do some contemplation, because to me, contemplation comes way before meditation. Meditation is when you stop all thoughts. And if I was to tell you now, stop any thought coming into your body, it's so, or start it, you thinking start more. thinking more, well, how do I do it? You know, well, how long is this going to be for? All these things start to yeah. come up. And, and so I've kind of felt, in the, especially in sessions that I've done before I was qualified, um, that a lot of people would be like, and now we're going to go into some meditation. Close your eyes and let's begin. And I was like, be begin? Where's my start point? <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, where is my start point? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so for me, for me, I always think about, okay, I've, I've been doing this for a while, so I kind of understand where my body works and where my attention works. And so I know some days I can meditate, some days I can't. But on those days that I can't, to me that's contemplation. And I think contemplation is a lot more fun than meditation, to be honest, because that's where you, you, know, you get these random thoughts popping up and it's about removing yourself from processing the thought and getting stuck in the thought and just kind of acknowledging the thought for what it is and then taking it to the door and just letting it go and then just keep on doing that. And then after a while, you kind of get to a point where you pull backwards completely and the thoughts kind of subside a bit. So that's, that's the, the idea of, to me of what yoga is. It's the stilling of the movement of thought and the physical practice is the map to doing that. Do you think that's what it is that makes, like what makes you feel, I guess people feel so in a good kind of lighter mood, happier mood after taking part in yoga? Do you think it's because of that whole, um, the fact that it's, stops all thought and you you don't need to think about kind of your worries and you know the stresses or, or your work like you said is that the, the main thing about it that kind of affects people's mood so much do you think you know to be honest with you I think well from certainly from what I've found with people around me my mates growing up and whatnot like any sort of physical exercise even going for a walk has a really positive effect especially if you've been inside on the computer all day or you're working from home and you're kind of just tapping away on a computer just doing something like that is really helpful because any interaction that we have um, it, with anyone in the world there's always a, a chemical dialogue happening in the body and with our nervous system there's two sides of it right there's the sympathetic nervous system which is the stress response fight or flight um, you know, adrenaline is another stress response. And the thing is, especially in, in the modern day, in the, in, in, the, in the modern era that we live in, we're always in that state of stress, pressure, high response. And what I think physical exercise, be it playing a bit of basketball, doing a bit of yoga, um, and this is just taking out all of the other side of yoga, because I think people get a bit too serious on it, which is why people, people, mm. get, off, people get turned away by it, really. They don't really like it because it's too serious. But I think you have mm. to approach it to begin with like any other exercise. And that is to 
engage the parasympathetic nervous system. And so that's basically like a, uh, the, parasympathetic, the parasympathetic response is what happens when you de-stress, when you're about to go to bed, when you're reading a book in bed, when you're watching a Netflix show after you've um, had a, a crazy day, or even if you're just eating something you know, that you enjoy. That's the de-stress response. So I think, um, yes, yoga does help massively in terms of stimulating those de-stress points in the body. Um, and an example of that would be, so I always, I always start my sessions with a, a neck exercise, literally just drop your neck to one side, drop your head forward, drop your neck on the other side, because biologically as well, we've got two nerves which come down the sides of our neck, directly where the jaw um, straightens out, just directly there. Um, I'm not sure if people can see this if they're listening to it, but it's, it's directly <laughs> on the side of the neck, um, where the pulse is pretty much. And it's called the vagus nerve. And now the vagus nerve is something which, when it's stretched, it releases a hormone called ACT. And that hormone is a parasympathetic response. So when you feel like a lot of tightness in the neck and whatnot, the reason those neck stretches are always kind of the best things to do is because it instantly releases that hormone into the bloodstream and it causes you to just chill, to settle. Chill out. Yeah. I didn't realise there was so much kind of science behind it. It's it's so interesting. You mentioned that obviously on the days that you, you don't feel like you can do the meditation, you can do you can go into the contemplation and even though you, you've kind of had this great philosophy from such a young age, we're all human and we're all guaranteed to have bad days because things happen and it might just be that you've missed the tube by one minute or whatever what would you say because you're not coming at it from a different you're seeing it from different eyes what do you do to get yourself into that kind of that happy spot again like on the days where you're not feeling it or you're having a bit of ag because you see it from such a scientific point of view where you go right okay i know the formula do you find that you can put it into practice or do you struggle with that? I, you know, I, I always think, and it's a good question because I've had a lot of people who I teach um, come to me and ask me the same thing. They're like, are you just super zen all the time? Because whenever we do a session, you don't seem to have a problem on your shoulders. And I always say, listen, I'm human just like you, right? On the days that I have a bad day, I'll go and fix me, you know, a bowl of nachos with some cheese, some guac and, you know, my little creature comforts. And yeah, like I said, change that thought. Um, that emotion of say sadness or whatever I'm feeling um, but I always kind of keep this um, thought in my mind and that's like I always think that we're very similar to like boats on the sea and the thing is you've got to completely remember no matter what what happens to you whether you've had a bad day whether you've not had a bad day even if you stay in that mood just with the flow of life the people that come in and out of your sort of direct movement they're going to carry you somewhere it's impossible to stay in one mood for that period of time and so like just like a boat on the sea that boat might there might be no one rowing with it there might be no oars on the ship but at some point that boat is going to move and end up in a completely different part of the ocean and just being aware that that movement is happening i think that really helps um people to kind of get a concept of okay when i have a day a bad day and it's just you know we've all had those days where it's like one bad thing after another after another after another it just doesn't seem like they're going to end and and the thing is then yeah you might be walking home and there might be rain clouds and you're like great what the hell is about to happen 
all it might take to move to sort of sort of shift your mood is for one of those cloud covers to break and for you to just get a bit of sunlight coming in right that isn't that small little thing which is completely out of your control has the power to completely shift your emotion or a stranger smiling on the bus something or a stranger so smiling on the bus exactly or you found finding like a pound <laughs> coin on the floor that's happened to me before walking back from uh, you know, so I'm at my parents' house quarantining at the moment, but Slough is just down the road. And Slough Station is the worst station. You don't want to be in Slough Station for a prolonged period of time. And so like, <laughs> when you've had a bad day and then you end up at Slough Station and then you're walking back and it looks like it's about to rain and then you find a pound coin, that pound coin seems like a million dollars. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, yeah. it's like swings, it's dream. It swings around and roundabouts. But like, I would definitely say in terms of dealing with... Um, actively dealing with my emotions when I have a bad day, I'll always look to my breath. Always look to the breath. Because when you're feeling sad and in that way, you start to, you start to get a really shallow um, breath pattern. So you start breathing from, that's the mic, you start breathing from your chest. <laughs> you know, you start breathing from your chest. Um, you're not breathing into the diaphragm and you're not really breathing into your back either. And the majority of the lungs are actually situated in the back. And so when you're sh doing shallow breath and you're doing, say, a short few breaths in and a short few breaths out, you're actually in a state of hyperventilation, which is similar. The symptoms are similar to acute stress. Um, you know, um, what is it? Chest pains, anxiety. Um, like a panic attack. Disturbed sleep. Panic attack is another symptom of acute stress. And so the easiest way to balance it out is to get more CO2 into the blood. And that's through your breath. It's like, like you just said with panic attacks. If someone has a panic attack and you call, call up the, you know, the ambulance or whatnot, or call up 911 or um, the emergency services, they will always tell you to get a brown paper bag and breathe into a brown paper bag. And that's mm. purely because when you breathe in, you're taking in oxygen. And when you breathe out, it's carbon dioxide. And that just means when you have a panic attack that there's more oxygen levels as opposed to the amount of carbon dioxide needed to balance out to a healthy point and so i'll always breathe in for four and then i'll just breathe out on a slower rate of breath and elongate the out breath so i get that balance in oxygen and co2 levels that's just the scientific side of it but it works really well you make it sound so easy and it's the things that i think up until a couple of years ago i didn't even know know these kind of things but Re more recently from kind of looking into it you kind of learn them and they sound so easy but I think people do struggle to put it into practice so what was your kind of reasoning behind saying you know what this is a, a passion that I have I want to actually go to the next step so I can pass it on because so that that's one point and then another point if you don't mind commenting on it because I find it so interesting is do you think people are jumping on the bandwagon for it in terms of monetary value and also in the social media world? I see so many people doing yoga and things like that. And I see some people and I'm like, is from what I see you doing, I'm like, that is yoga and you're doing your qualifications, stuff like that. Whereas I see some people in the, the downward facing dog saying, oh, this is what I do. And it's like, do you know what I mean? So what made you want to go forward and teach other people? So I was actually in a position where, uh, for the majority of my life, I've done performing, I've done auditions, I've done all this sort of stuff. And it's always been heavily led by going into a room and trying to 
impress other people. Trying to, you know, go into a room with a, a director, a casting director, and sometimes a producer, and going, hey, this is me. You know, I've got this smile, but inside I'm nervous as hell. And <laughs> I don't want you to know that because then that impacts on your idea of what I am or what I might not be. And when that's been the set way of going um, about the business and it becomes, it, it goes from being a natural state of self-confidence, self-awareness to actually being quite um, a habitual state of anxiety. And, you know, you're constantly going in and, and yes, you want the job. Yes, you want everything that comes with it. It's normal, yeah. It's normal. And it's, and it's a high risk job. So it's high risk, high reward um, when you're in work. But when you're not in work, it's like, what the hell am I supposed to do? And <laughs> I think what really does help is knowing, um, basically for me, it was that thing of I was like, I, I just want another stream of income, which isn't like a temp job. I just thought, you know what, there has to be a way that I can, after doing an audition, there has to be a way of resetting or coming back to a central position where I go, right, okay, this is me. And then, yeah. adding on to that, once I've kind of got it into my psyche, into my subconscious, and it's sunk into my natural or my habitual nature, which has changed now, I can go into a room and not be worried about the way that I come across because I'm confident in knowing where I am. And to be completely honest with you, I'm not there. You know, I'm not there yet. But the thing is, it's, it's one of those journeys, isn't it? And it's... Do you think you'll ever be there 100%? I mean, as an actor, is that something that comes with the vulnerability? I, I know that from a, a performance point of view, even when we were doing amazing performance at huge crowds, you're still never there and you hear from people at the top of their game and they're still not there. So. I think there's such a, um, a race towards that point, race towards the end point, the race towards being completely happy. And I don't think it exists. I don't think there's one person that you can speak to in the world that is completely happy with everything in their life. It's a, it's, yes, it's an ideal that we work towards, but I think it's a false ideal. So when someone always comes to me and says, you know, um, say after a class, they're like, you know, that was a great class. I'm just so stressed. You know, I'm a lawyer or I'm a paralegal and I'm in the, I'm in the office from nine till nine, like one of my friends is. And it's, it's just that constant chase, right, of trying to reach this point. And to me, that, that point doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. That, you know, you can kind of work towards it, but if you're getting stressed by it, if you're getting stressed by the fact that you don't seem to be closer, I'd rather focus on what you're doing day to day as opposed to worrying about where you're going to be or if you'll ever get there. Which is the whole, the power of which now is, and living Which is the power the of present, now and living in the thing. present, absolutely. But I think it's also, um, I think it's just simpler than that. And especially over this quarantine period, you know, like when it first started, I was just kind of like, what the hell do I do now? Um, because <laughs> I, I was waiting for my qualification to go through. I was waiting to get insurance and everything. And there was a lull of about a week. And I was just like, this is not good. I need to do something. You, you start getting antsy. The anxiety starts to go up. And then you kind of just remember, like, slow down, slow down. And that's the hardest thing to do, especially in this day and age. You mentioned a bit about performing um, and obviously now you're doing the yoga stuff as well. Would you say the kind of you get different types of happiness and joy out of those? Because they're two quite different activities. Yoga is very calming and that and, you know, 
obviously the performing you're in front of people you're in front of a crowd like you said you're trying to impress other people um and you're very much kind of in this other character a lot of the time what's the kind of difference in in your mood when you're practicing both those different jobs and, and activities and have, have you found you're enjoying one more than the other um or are they kind of different types of happiness that you gain from them for me i think the comparison between the two is something which i've actually actively tried to stay away from because and what i mean by comparing the two is so say like i did a show last year and it was it was great because I was on stage for like the majority of the play and I had nine minutes off stage. So the time that you're getting doing the thing that you've trained the majority of your life to do, you're doing it. I wanted to get onto this because this was obviously such a, a big part of kind of what, what you've been doing. And I saw it on um, social media and you went to one of the, the theatres that Aaron, my old bandmate, Crazy World. worked at Crazy as well. World. Um, so, you, so you were in, it was called Mushy, yeah. lyrically it speaking. Was, it was. Am I right? And I think everybody remembers it because it was from educating Yorkshire and it was the phenomenon of this kid who kind of had a, a stammer, a stutter, and then kind of when he listened to music, it was a bit like the King's Speech and it was this whole moment that kind of moved. You were kind of, how many people were you performing so, to every um, night? We were really quite lucky and overwhelmed with the response that we got to it. Um, with the the show to begin with it was only a um so it was supposed to be a studio show and then theaters got involved the arcola in london got involved leeds playhouse got involved uh where else did we go i think we went to birmingham birmingham rep birmingham yeah rep. which is absolutely stunning space but like wherever we went it was one of those things where the first night we'd have a good turnout and then from the first night people for some somehow they were just here and it would just draw more people to it and i think um, you know, it was it was really, really a, a great period of time. I mean, the show was only for four, four or five weeks, but it was um, it was one of those things that picked up so much momentum that the impact, because they managed to get it on camera, they recorded it properly, all our mics were picked up, and and the editing was done so that you could just watch it on a computer screen, and so with the quarantine period as well, so like. Quite a lot of people came to watch the actual show, but the amount of engagement it's had since sort of Rifco Theatre, who are the theatre company behind it, they put the um, show up on on their website, and they've been getting things like you know four or five thousand people watching it a week, and really like crazy numbers. And and but the thing is that story, like you said, is something which just spoke to everyone, no matter who you were. When you I remember watching it when I was a kid, and I remember being in tears. You know, like you just you yeah. just couldn't couldn't help it because it's a story which speaks to the heart, and um, and so in that way, I think the acting industry is great because you get to convey things through emotion, through the heart. You get to tell these stories, and through the heart, I think I think yoga is no different. Um, and go, going back to this sort of comparison of it, it's it's one of those things whereby. It's communication. And to me, yoga is such an important way of communicating with people who are in the class, people who've joined for one class, people who aren't quite sure. Because I've been that person who's turned up to a class and people are grabbing their ankles and pulling their you know, legs like behind their head. And I'm just like, What's not happening. <laughs> and then <laughs> I haven't gone back. <laughs> a couple of my best mates had the same issue. They, they went to a yoga class and they were like, 
these guys have been doing it for years and, and there's no real entry point. They didn't feel like there was an entry point to the, to the class. It's like if you go to the gym and it's just full of big blokes <laughs> slamming metal about you. Like, I can't exactly, do that. Exactly. I'm out Whereas of here. I think like, the philosophy of yoga is a lot, is a lot simpler than, than what the studios and the modern day studios, and then this links in with the monetization of it as well, um, the modern day studios are doing, whereby um, I look at yoga as a functional aspect, especially the physical side of it. If I'm doing anything physical, I'll do exercises for the first portion of the class to kind of build the class up. Um, build up strength in your legs, your hips, your shoulders, your neck, all the key stress points. And then from that, I like add on a pose that we do. And then we build the pose into like a wider vinyasa, which is basically a flow, um, mm. like sun salutations. That's just the vinyasa. And there have been people who've come every single week for 11 weeks. And it's insane because I'm just like, wow, like the drop off has been quite minimal, which is amazing. But I think people appreciate the fact that you're physically... Um, and emotionally going on this journey to strengthen and there's a, you know, to strengthen and to settle turbulence in your life, be it physical, be it mental, be it emotional. Um, and I think people appreciate it when it's just like a sort of, you know, a solid, uh, practice that they can do and that they know they feel better after doing it. And when you, and when you were obviously, I I imagine that the, the mushy show was such a, a career highlight for you when you would come off stage and kind of I know as an actor it's such a an adrenaline buzz and even more so when when the the run finished did you did you find that you were utilizing both tools so using the yoga as a form of a come down because a lot of people do struggle with that initial come down from a high and I know that when you've been performing on stage that is such a a buzz that I used to go and like lock myself in the toilet after a gig and not talk to anyone because I just need it you just need that moment and it's like, but if you know the, the right tools, did you do anything to kind of utilize those? You're 100% right with the come down um, after a show. Like I said, I'd never been involved with a show where I'd had so much space, uh, stage time. And playing Mushy, it was different. It was, it was difficult because the whole, and we only had three weeks to rehearse it, right? And because it's a new piece of writing, the new piece of writing is always adapting and there was rap in it so we're getting music in from a producer and then we're getting the lyrics coming in from the lyricist and 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 so it's constantly shifting and moving and so those rehearsal periods where you're in the you know in the building for 12 hours um and then you get home and you're exhausted it would have been impossible to keep that pace up even when the shows came if i didn't implement some sort of like fail safe method to kind of just relax because yeah it, uh, it was it was crazy that I remember the first few weeks of doing it because it's such a shock to your system, right? Like I've done TV and film and I've, I've done a couple of stuff in theatre as well before then, but nothing which has been so hands-on. And when it's hands-on, you kind of lose yourself in the, in the thing of, oh my God, I've got lines to learn. And then you're up until one o'clock in the morning and then you've got to get up at seven to be at, in the rehearsal room for nine. And so you never really have any time to settle down. And I burnt... To be honest with you, I burnt out after, probably after the third week, which is kind of peak when you think about it, because we're going, going into a four or five week run yeah, of the show, yeah. you know, doing two shows every day. It was, it was crazy. And so for me, the first thing that I did was um, I'd come off stage. Uh, I'd always take my mic off first. It, to me, it was one of those things, right, mic is off. I'm done with the character. Cool. 
and then I'd take the tie off, then I'd take, and then I'd just get changed. And, and when I'd get changed, I'd just sit in the dressing room, put a bit of music on, and just get some good vibes going. I mean, the, the vibes are already good, but just to calm down a bit more. And so, like, I'm someone mm. who's very, like, I love my film, you know. If, if you would say, choose between TV or, or theatre, I'd choose TV and film over theatre every, every step of the way, just because I love that medium, and I've always loved it. I've grown up on it. Um, and, and so I, I'd put on, like... Um, so Lord of the, the Lord of the Rings soundtrack, you know, you know, when they're in the Shire, the do 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 do. Yeah, yeah. Like I just put that on, and that became my kind of track to, you know, relax and just to calm down a bit, and um, th- it just stuck with me throughout the whole show. Like just having something like that, and that's why I think it's just important to do something like that. But then with the yoga side of it, I'd come home, and I'd just do like a gentle stretch, nothing too hard. You know, because I'm burning God knows how many amounts of calories on stage and, you know, physically exhausted. So to come home and do a full yoga practice doesn't make sense. And the whole philosophy of yoga is yoga meets you where you are. And that's such a big philosophy that I always carry into the sessions as well. There'll be like today when I did it in the morning, I was like, I can't be bothered. Like, I really can't be bothered. All right. Instead of doing my normal 40 minutes every day, I'll do do a 20 minute practice. It's fine. Just gentle stretching, gentle warm up and then some breath work, and that works. As you might have noticed, we didn't get to say goodbye to Varun there thanks to technical difficulties and the joys of Zoom. Oh, what's this coronavirus doing to us, eh? Anyway, don't be sad, be happy like Larry. Next time, we are joined by the wonderful Lucy Mae Walker. She's a great friend of ours, and she's a wonderful artist, and she's gonna be talking all about happiness in the world of song.